Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast on Blue Wire, and we are back from hiatus. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined by Sports Illustrated staff writer, Emma Bacheleri. Emma shares how she went from physics to sports writing, her top tips for interviewing, the importance of not only being who you are, but also of trusting yourself, and much more. She also gives a fantastic book recommendation and a life motto that can help us all. This is a really fun episode and you guys are going to love it. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and make sure to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Emma, thank you so much for joining me today for the Get My Job podcast. You are our first guest back after hiatus. So welcome. Thank you. I'm honored to be the, the first one back. Well, we're very honored to have you. I love following you on Twitter. You make me laugh like all the time. Um, And we'll definitely talk more about that because you are very funny. But I'd love to just jump in and have you start by taking us through your professional journey that got you where you are today. Sure. Well, first, thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, But yeah, I kind of had a a little bit of a winding path to the job I have now. Um, You know, I wasn't someone who knew I wanted to be in sports writing from the time I was a kid or even from the time I was in college. Um, I, I entered college actually hoping to be a physics major. I was really into oh. science. I wanted to go to grad school for that. Um, and while I was doing that, I just decided I wanted to do the student paper on the side as like a way to have an extracurricular that was totally different from what I was doing in my classes um, because I'd always like to write. And I thought that would be a good way to like keep that in my life. Um, turns out that Math gets really hard after calculus. You know, no one talks about that. <laughs> it's like actually not easy to major in physics. Um, and so, yeah, I, w- I was struggling with that, but I was totally in love with the student newspaper. And so I decided to kind of switch gears, uh, like my kind of my sophomore year, but definitely by my the end of my junior year, I knew like you need to change your major. And um <laughs> like in order to literally not flunk out of school. (laughs) And also you really love this. And I I was actually doing news at the paper. I wasn't doing sports. Um, But yeah, I started doing news internships from there. I did um, local news at my hometown paper. I did some political reporting. uh, And I thought that's what I was going to do. Um, And, you know, I I got a a fellowship in that after I graduated in Washington, D.C., which is where I still live today, uh, doing political coverage. But I, I really loved sports. I'd always loved sports from the time I was a little kid, especially baseball. Um, and I'd been tweeting about baseball a lot uh, <laughs> for years. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, at one point I got an offer from an editor who was on Twitter and was like, you know, you, you seem to know quite a bit about baseball. You're tweeting about it all the time. Um, and you clearly write, like, would you ever want to try baseball blogging? Um and I thought it was just like a really fun kind of outlet to have. I thought of it at the time as like totally separate from my 
career. Like even though they were both writing, I thought of what I was doing at work was like journalism reporting and what I was doing, you know, at, at night at home was just having fun with baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyways, I ended up doing more of that than of my day job and kind of got lucky and one thing led to another and got a, a position at Deadspin where I was, you know, blogging all the time and mm-hmm. was able to do some more reporting from there and some you know, longer, more serious work. And, you know, after some time there, I I was able to come to Sports Illustrated and do what I'm doing now. Did you play softball or baseball growing up or you just always loved baseball? I played softball growing up. Um, Not well. I was like, (laughs) tennis was actually my sport. Like I played tennis, you know, competitively in middle school and high school. Softball was like, I loved it as a little kid, but by the time I was like 12, I was like, "Hmm." Your, your future is not here. <laughs> so yeah, I don't have that experience informing any, any of my like, coverage. <laughs> I uh, love baseball as well. It's that and football are tied for my favorite sports and it's, it goes up and down. Uh, and I, in junior high school, I think I was in the eighth grade, the day before softball tryouts, I was like, I'm going to try out for softball. I did not make the team. I was devastated. And my brother was like, you literally decided yesterday to travel for softball. You haven't played since T-ball. Like, you got to get it together. Like, it's really fine. Um, But I had that moment. I was like, yeah, I want to play too. Um, But I probably should have practiced and tried to actually play. Um, But that's that's really funny. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, Twitter and, and tweeting about baseball. And like I said at the beginning, you're very funny. Uh, and you really do come across as such, you know, on Twitter. How do you find, and I ask my guests this sometimes, especially my very funny guests, how do you find that line between like, I'm being funny or maybe I shouldn't tweet this. I've never seen that from you ever, but I'm just wondering if you have those moments and kind of what your process is, because I think it's helpful for people who want to be in sports or any industry to understand how to use social media properly. Yeah, it's definitely tricky. Um, and I've ended up coming down on the the side of if I'm questioning it or if I like mm-hmm. ask a friend, hey, should I tweet this? I probably shouldn't be tweeting it, tweeting it at all. Like even if it mm-hmm. seems like it's probably fine, even if a friend or my boyfriend is like, oh, that's not a big deal. It's just usually not worth it. Um, mm-hmm. If Because if you can see a way it could be misinterpreted or taken out of context, it will be misinterpreted or taken out mm-hmm. of context because it's Twitter. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, that's just the the baseline for me. Um, and then a, another part of it is that like when I'm doing something serious, I try to keep it serious. And then mm-hmm. when I'm just watching a game, when it, I see something fun, I try to keep it fun and I try not to mix them. Like there are some people who can, you know, do a great job of making jokes about more serious topics. I'm a little too nervous about, you know, it's so easy to mess that up. And I've just kind of ended up on the side of just, just don't go there. Like it's just not worth it. Yeah, that's, that's fair. And I think that's great advice. And I, I kind of follow the same thing. If I take, if I'm like, Ooh, could this be, then I just don't do it. Um, and sometimes I'll have a friend that I'll send, or, you know, certain friends that I'll send it to. I mean, there was one thing, I can't remember what it was that I sent to a friend. I was like, is there any way this could be misinterpreted? And he was like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, how could that possibly, but I think it's, imp- if you have a moment, you should, you know, take a beat and not, not everything has to be said the second you think it or shared yeah. the second you think it. Um, all right. So in terms of interviewing, because you've done news and politics and sports, which obviously very different subjects, but interviewing is interviewing. Um, what are three pieces of advice you'd give to someone in your field on making sure you're getting a good interview? 
Yeah, I think the biggest one and one that I can still kind of struggle with sometimes is that it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're there to have a back and forth. You know, I know at least when I was first starting out, I, I would tend to get very nervous of like, okay, I don't want you to think I'm an idiot. I want to make sure I have all of my stuff. Like I need to ask X, Y, and Z and then just like question, question, question. But like you're going to get more better quality stuff if you're relaxed, if you treat it as a conversation, if you open up like back and forth, if you're like listening in an actual engaged way and not just, okay, what's my next question? How am I going to phrase it? But like, what can I pull out of the answer you just gave to keep talking like you're a friend or, you know, even for interviews that are maybe necessarily a little more adversarial or not as friendly, Mm -hmm. you can still have that sort of active engaged listening. That's going to make it better as a conversation than an interview. Um, which is, is, again, is something I still struggle with at times. Um, because that's tricky, but it, it is definitely worth keeping in mind. Um, another one is to do your research, but not be afraid to ask the same question in different ways. Like I think sometimes when I'm interviewing someone who's interviewed a lot and I go back and look at the last couple of pieces they've been quoted in and I see something that they've said, I think like, okay, I don't want to ask that, you know, that's covered ground. But there are ways to ask the same question in different ways to maybe you'll hear something in that answer that, you know, wasn't there before. I think there's a way to to frame a question that isn't that, that makes it clear that you know what's already out there, that you're not asking them to, to do extra work or repeat themselves from something they're saying all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but to show that, you know, th- there is something to be pulled from that, you know. Um, and so not being afraid to, you know if they've answered that question once in the last five years, I can't ask it again. Like, that's not true. You can find a different way into it. You can pull out something different. Um, And sometimes there's value in just hearing how someone is going to explain themselves. Um, And and even if you think you already know the answer, even if you think it's been published before, maybe it hasn't, or maybe they've changed how they see it, all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the third one, hmm double check your recording devices um, regardless of what it is yes that's that's one sort of thing I've only been burned once on but I feel like you only need once to like then become a lifelong devotee of like double and triple checking everything you have Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah it's important because you definitely don't want to be in the position of like I need this all again (laughs) I did a five fun facts with a 49ers player towards the end of last year on zoom and it was like I think the day before they got they found out they were being moved to Arizona and it was great. The five fun facts. It was so good. And I went to like post it and publish it. And I was like, where, where, where did it go? And the audio was still there, but somehow the video was just gone. And it was like, what, and I, I, to right I, to this day, I have literally no idea where it went, but it was when I was like, should I have recorded it with my phone too? I mean, it, the double checking your recording devices is maybe the most valuable advice you could give anybody. Um, and kind of going back to your second one too, I think it's a little bit like owning your interview and, and owning that, you know, sometimes you do have to ask the same question more than once because you can't, you're doing the interview. So you're not going to want to say, well, they said five years ago this, and then I didn't ask about it when there's, you know, it's your interview. Um, and I sometimes struggle with that a little bit in sports reporting, like after a game, you want to ask a question. It feels like, oh, this seems like a silly question, but like, I can't quote the coach. Like I can't quote it right. and say, I'm sure Kyle Shanahan thought this, like he still has to tell me his thoughts on it. So 
it's just kind of like owning your interview and that you've prepared and that you should be there in a way. Yeah. And I think going off of that, another one is like finding a way to like acknowledge that of like, Mm -hmm. how would you explain this to someone who doesn't know anything about it rather than, you know, like, this is a stupid question, but, or like, I know this is kind of basic, but how can you frame this? Like showing that you are, you have context for this. You're not just asking like a very elementary question or a question that might seem obvious to be obvious, but like, or asking, you know, how did you think about this? Like there are different ways to get kind of that information, even when like the fact of it might seem obvious, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And that was something I was always like pretty nervous to do when I was starting out, like not wanting to acknowledge, like, if it seems like a stupid question, I don't want to ask it. But like, there are ways to frame it that might not make it seem stupid and can actually give you really good information. Absolutely. And and I have found that sometimes I'll have a question is early on when I first started doing this, um, I'd have a question. And I'd be like, Oh, that's a stupid question. I'm not going to ask it. And then the next person asked the exact same question. And that person had been doing it for like 30 years, <laughs> like you need to get yeah. the answer to the question. So having kind of that, that confidence in yourself, which is not easy. Easier said than done, but I think that's a good one too. So when you made the switch from news to sports, what was the biggest transition there? I think a big part of it was there's, you know, we talk about unwritten rules in sports a lot. I feel like there are also a lot in sports reporting. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the, the structure of how things work, I mean, which sounds so basic, but just knowing exactly when you leave the press box to go down to the the clubhouse or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the field, whatever it may be, like knowing the structure of the day, like there are things that aren't always put in the media information, because if you've been doing this for years, you know that. And even if you've been, you know, uh, covering like high school games and then college games, and now you're in the pros, like it, it, there are some things that are the same throughout, but if you're just dropped in at the highest level, you kind of have nothing to go off of. Mm-hmm. Um, which wasn't really the case in any of the news reporting I did. Like there's not a, here's the one regimented way to cover a school board meeting or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. like that doesn't really exist. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas that very much exists for like, this is how you like the the structure of how to cover an MLB game. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially because, you know, it's, I was usually like the only reporter from Sports Illustrated at any given game, you know, it's not like I, mm-hmm. there are really nice people who work for other outlets who were willing to help me, which was great, but it's not like I had a colleague to shadow, right. um, or, you know, someone to help in that sense. And so that was really tricky. Just realizing like how much I didn't know. And, and even things that like you kind of other people might take for granted of like, you'd never talk to a, a starting pitcher, you know, the day that he's going to pitch or the day before mm-hmm. he starts, like, stuff like that when it's not written down because everyone takes it for granted it's um it's kind of hard to find your footing so it took a while and honestly in some senses I feel like I'm still building up the base of knowledge that I I really need to feel totally confident in it because because it's hard it is it's definitely hard and do you feel that you know asking questions I think can be hard not just interview questions but asking people asking the PR people sometimes that feels daunting but that's how you learn this. Yeah. I've, I've certainly identify with that. Like I know there are some people who are really good about like, Hey, can you help me out? Which is fine and great. And everyone should Mm -hmm. feel comfortable with asking that. But I was always like, Oh, like I I don't want to seem like I have no idea what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. even if I don't have any idea what I'm doing. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember one of the first games I covered, it was in Atlanta. It was a Braves Brewers game. And 
um, I covered like a whole series. So it was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And Friday and Saturday were night games, so I had a sense of the schedule. But Sunday was a day game, so I, I didn't know exactly how it worked. And I went down for the clubhouse opens like an hour and a half before it opened because I didn't know what time it was going to open. And I, I didn't have the PR guy's like phone number or whatever. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to email him like, you know, now. So I just like sat outside in the tunnel for like, like an hour and a half waiting for it to open when I, you know, probably wouldn't have been a big deal to just be like, Hey, what time is the clubhouse opening tomorrow? Rather than, you know, sitting in a concrete tunnel with my notebook for an hour. Um, so yes, don't be ashamed to ask those things because like everyone has had those questions at one point or another. How is COVID or how did COVID, I know now we're starting to come back a little bit. How did it change with you? Did it change your travel schedule? And I mean, I would imagine, yes. Um, but what was it like covering games from afar? I know that was kind of a two or three part question. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it, it changed a lot. Um, I mean, I'm not a, like a beat reporter, so it's not like I have to be following the same team consistently. Um, and so, you know, it, the biggest thing was the the lack of access um, uh-huh. that, you know, I did do a few games in the stadiums and there's not really anything you got there that you couldn't get from being at home. And because, you know, you zoom into the same presser with the manager and one or maybe two players. Um, and I, I did some of those from home. I did some of them from the ballpark, not a huge difference. Um, and, and the biggest thing is I think with baseball, particularly compared to other sports, you actually had, you know, pre-COVID more access than you have to most of the other uh, players in professional sports because the in baseball you have the clubhouse open before the game right. um, for, like, a, you know, a good amount of time, an hour or so, to just talk to anyone. Um, and so it was really hard to be without that. That was normally where I would get my best stuff for, for stories. Even after the game, you, you know, you'd have scrums around – the two or three biggest players, but it wouldn't be a big deal to walk up to like the backup catcher and ask like, Hey, what did you see there? Someone who didn't play a big role in the game, someone who's maybe on the bench to ask like background questions to fill something out. You had that chance and now you don't anymore. So I do not envy people who had to do regular game coverage because uh, it made it really hard. And I thankfully didn't have to do very much of it. Um, But apart from that, I mean, it, yeah, it, it was hard. It's still hard. I think last year, one of the things that was uh, great was I had fun kind of looking for stories that were very specific to the environment, but weren't mm-hmm. necessarily like on the field baseball. Like I, I talked to a um, a travel director about like, how are oh. you coordinating the team's travel with like, like literally what do you do when you get to the hotel? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's his job to like sanitize everything, which is normally like not his job at all. Right. Um, <laughs> so like questions like that, I asked every team, like, what do you do when a home run ball gets hit in the empty stands and there's no one to pick it up? Like stories like that. I asked, uh, I interviewed the Philly fanatic, like how do you work without fans as a mascot? That mm-hmm. kind of thing was really fun. And I enjoyed like having an excuse to talk to these people I'd normally never talk to. Um, but now we have like those stories don't really apply because it's more back to normal, except the access itself isn't back to normal. So actual baseball reporting is still hard, still kind of trying to find the balance of how to make that work. Um, But yeah, it was certainly a challenge, but in some ways I am grateful for the ways that kind of pushed me to consider stuff from different angles. And do you think that will carry on with you as we do fully get back to normal? And when you do get back to just your regular reporting schedule, will you still try to look for those stories? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that was something that I, 
I felt grateful I had the freedom to do at SI um, mm-hmm. and had kind of always been encouraged even before the pandemic to, you know, not be afraid to go chase up stories that are kind of in that quirkier vein that's mm-hmm. not as directly tied to like here's what's literally happening on the field. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's absolutely something I, I want to keep trying to do and just, you know, there are so many people who work in professional sports, I think is another thing that the pandemic kind of taught us that, you know, if before you weren't necessarily thinking about how many people does it take in a stadium to put on a game, you know, mm-hmm. every day or every Sunday, whatever it is. Um, there's so many of them and they almost all have interesting stories. And so that's definitely something that I'm, I'm more cognizant of now. When you look back on some of the stories you reported to this point, um, this is another three-parter, but what would you say was your most difficult your most rewarding and your most fun? I would say my most difficult, um, this is when I actually did not that long ago, it was last year, um, about uh, the trading card industry and box breaks, which is the phenomenon of like opening up a box of cards on YouTube um, or Twitch and streaming it live. Because I thought I had an idea of what this story was, um, Mm -hmm. which was, you know, guys opening baseball cards. And uh, it was pitched as like a just like a quirky little thing. Like I saw it and I was like, you know, I I might as well dive into this. And then it was only once I was already in it that I realized like, oh, this is actually like a huge multimillion dollar industry that has transformed the way that people trade cards and is valued in a way similar to like modern art. And this was pre like NFTs. This was mm-hmm. last um, spring. Um, but Which like, I still now, don't understand. Oh, no. Zero <laughs> percent. <laughs> I can't wrap my head around Yeah. I've, I've read <laughs> enough explainers. I just know that one's not going to click. Um, yeah. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, I like I, I had no idea what I was walking into, basically, that I thought like when I pitched to my editor, I was like, oh, like, cool, fun cards. And then I got into it and it's like, oh, no, like enormous sums of money and people who take this incredibly seriously and are very competitive with one another. Um, and like everything you're thinking about is completely different. And then I, I also, I started that, I traveled to report that story. I think it was, um, it was like late February, 2020. So yeah. that was my last reporting trip before COVID. And oh, okay. then like right before it was supposed to run, the world shut down. It was like, we're not going to run this, but then cards became actually really big in the pandemic because mm-hmm. It's like when you had no sports, more people turned into that. And so the, I had to re-report the whole thing. Um, but I ended up really enjoying it and learning a lot from it. And it was just a great example of like something that had so much more to it than I, I'd realized, uh, even if it was really thorny to to work all the way through. Um, I would say the most fun, so I did one, um, I guess almost two years ago now, where I went to visit the man who gets all of the mud for baseballs, the rubbing oh, mud. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it was really cool. It's crazy that it's just like a little family business, even though baseball like requires this mud to run. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. They've tried to make chemical substitutes for the mud. They can't. Um, and it was just, uh, I mean, I got to literally play in some mud, which is always fun and not something you get a chance to do much as an adult. But um, <laughs> yeah, he's just the nicest guy. It was a lot of fun. And another sort of thing of like something that's so essential to baseball, like literally every single baseball gets rubbed with mud before it's handed to a pitcher. But I, I never thought to like look more, you know, beyond it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm sorry, it was the last one rewarding. Rewarding. Yep. Rewarding. Hmm. 
I think that would be, I did a story um, in 2018 about the first women, the first female chess player to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated, who was also the first chess player period to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated, who was someone who had just the most fascinating life, um, just a really glamorous, exciting chess player throughout the 1960s, huge um, kind of helped raise the profile of chess nationally, like in the days before Bobby Fischer's big national profile. Mm -hmm. That was her kind of pushing it as to like chess is cool. Chess can be fun. Chess can be sexy. Um, The Queen's Gambit actually like mentioned her story in its um, like basic press treatments. Okay. Um, Was that, was it based on that at all? Loosely, like the novel that, um, yeah, the novel that the, the show is based on references her show as a real life inspiration. Um, and then she quit and she walked away and she hadn't given any, any interviews for like 40 plus years, uh, when I went to go see her and getting a chance to kind of just talk to her and learn from, you know, everything she had to share and everything that had gone into her life and her chess career, and the time since she'd walked away from chess, uh, it was just really, really cool and satisfying. And also to know that this was something that meant a lot to her, that she hadn't been forgotten, that people were still interested in knowing what she had to say, um, was just really, really exciting and rewarding. That's amazing. That's awesome. And then I'm sure when the Queen's Gambit came out, you were probably all very excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. I really like that show, which is an aside that has nothing to do with this, but nonetheless... <laughs> I just want to share. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to go back and look for that story. I think that sounds um, very interesting. I will do that for sure. I want to go back to social media for a little bit. Um, A little bit makes it sound like it's going to be a very long time. It probably will not be. But (laughs) I think, you know, as women, well, everybody on social media deals with trolls. Everybody does for sure. But as women in sports, we deal with potentially more or just maybe a different type of troll. How do you handle that? Like, what is your process? Do you ignore it? Do you mute? Do you just, do you respond? Everybody has a different way. And I'm always curious to hear how different people go about it. Yeah, I generally try to err on the side of just not engaging, which can definitely be easier said than done. I mean, there are sometimes I really want to snap back at someone and sometimes, you know, I I do. And sometimes that can be satisfying, but for the most part, it just seems like engaging tends to make it worse, um, at least in my experience. So I'm a big one for just either muting and moving on or just even ignoring and not even muting and moving on. I'm thankful that I haven't had that much in the way of like targeted, sustained, ongoing stuff. Uh Um, Obviously, when you're in that situation, I think being more aggressive with muting, with blocking, whatever you need to do makes sense. But I don't know. A lot of times the ones that get under my skin are just like, one-off comments where it's just like, why? Like, ugh. Yes. And rather than someone who clearly has like a, a personal dig to get in. Um, and so, yeah, just trying to ignore it, which again, it, it sucks. It doesn't mean that it's not real, that like the pain and frustration it can cause is real because it very much is. But mm-hmm. I have found that just registering that and then trying to keep going and not engaging is usually the best thing for me. Is there a misstep that you are seeing women make when they are getting into the sports industry? (coughs) Sorry. Um, I don't know if I'd say this is like a broader misstep, but I think Mm -hmm. that one thing certainly that I wondered about when I was first starting out and that I 
I, you know, I know some of my, my friends who are women in the industry have dealt with as, as well as wondering like who you have to be to get started. Like, do mm-hmm. I have to kind of try to lean into like a more one of the guys, mm-hmm. you know, mindset and vibes and like, you know, try to laugh stuff off that maybe I shouldn't laugh off or do I have to go the other direction and decide like, I'm going to be like the super feminine prototype, even if that's not who I actually really am and try to, mm-hmm. you know, be like of kind of the two like very polarized these are the you can be this type of girl in sports or this type of girl in sports and that's it um which is really not true and I I know how it's easy to think that way and to feel like there aren't you know tons of models for success of of you know women who are doing different stuff and being themselves in different capacities um but there are and you don't have to kind of try to force yourself into one box or the other. Um, mm-hmm. You can be who you are, which sounds like cheesy and hokey, but it's true. Um, like it's possible to be successful in sports without feeling like you have to be either a, a super bro-y like guy's mm-hmm. girl or a super feminine, you know, girl's girl. Like you can be those obviously if that's how you feel like you are, but mm-hmm. you don't feel like you have to be one or the other. Yes. I think that's excellent, excellent advice. Um, and that was like part of starting fangirl was for women in sports to realize that they could, you could be whatever you wanted to be and it didn't matter. Um, but I think that is really helpful for, especially for sports journalism and any position in the world of sports, just being who you are. It sounds like you said, it sounds cheesy, but it's really important and it's really true. And it, it will take you far because you can't try to be something you're not. It won't work no matter yeah, what it, position you're trying to get. And like people respond to, I think, authenticity and like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it like, it, this also sounds like a high school English teacher, you know, talking to like a vulnerable <laughs> student, but like, yes, like when you're yourself and you're genuine, it's a, it's easier on you to not like constantly feel like you're putting something on the whole time, but also just like, yeah, like people respond to that and people recognize that. And you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but that's true no matter what. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's just so much easier to just kind of accept who you are and realize that you can work with that and it'll be fine. Be your own cup of tea. Yes. <laughs> and if everybody yes. else wants to try it, then great. If not, <laughs> that's going to be my new motto. Be your own cup of tea. <laughs> what is a criticism that you received uh, early in your career that was difficult but really helped you as time went on? It's a good question because there are definitely um, – Several. Um, <laughs> one of the, you can I mean, tell me as many of them as you want. <laughs> yeah, Sports Illustrated has some very tough editors, very good editors, like that I'm thankful for. But there's definitely um, quite a bit of tough love when I was first starting out that I, I'm grateful for. Um, but that was not always easy to hear at the time. Um, I think a bigger thing is like that came up multiple times when I was first starting out was. Um, being more open to trying new things. Like I felt very much like when I started, like, okay, I'm a baseball writer. I was hired to write about baseball. Baseball is what I know. Like, obviously I watched other sports. I enjoyed other sports, but I'd never written about other sports. And so I was like, I would never volunteer for anything outside of my specific scope. Mm-hmm. I was very much like, okay, you hired me to do baseball. I'm going to be the best baseball writer. Baseball can be. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I'm absolutely terrified of doing anything else and I never want to try it. So that's it. Um, 
and, you know, I, a couple of times I was kind of like gently prodded out of my comfort zone and then sometimes like outright pushed. Um, mm-hmm. And that's been really helpful for me and ended up actually being great for me because I've gotten to do some stuff in the last year or so that I never would have had the chance to do or would have imagined I could do when I was first starting out. I did this year, I covered the NCAA uh, women's basketball tournament, which was really cool. I'd never covered college basketball before at all. Um but women's sports are something that I've realized is, you know, really important to me and I want to do more with their coverage there. And so when I had this opportunity offered up, I was definitely scared um, just because like that's a lot of basketball for someone who's never covered basketball, even though I went to Duke, I love college basketball. Um, it's kind of like in the job description yes. of you know, <laughs> being a Duke student. Um, but yeah, I'd never written about it. I was super nervous. I, I didn't know what I was going to do um, and ended up having just, the best time covering it and learn so much and you know and I'm excited to hopefully do it again next year um and I've gotten a chance to like push myself into all sorts of different things I wrote about a softball league recently like there's <coughs> sorry excuse me I just so much out there when you're willing to go outside your comfort zone and um I it took me a couple of pushes to get there but I'm really grateful for it now is there anything you learned about yourself through that process Ooh. um I think just to trust myself more, like I can tend to be kind of a perfectionist about some things and just to be nervous that, you know, okay, what if I don't actually have a handle on this information in the way I think I do? What if I'm not good enough to be here? You know, what if I don't have the right standing to ask this question that I think is a good question? It's like basically just what if I'm wrong about everything all the time? Right. Um, which, you know, I, I feel that certainly in my my baseball work, too, because I feel that kind of all the time sometimes. But mm-hmm. especially with something new, just like, oh, my God, like, what is this? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I belong here. And just kind of this was a much bigger, harder push to get out of that mindset and just ask questions, recognize that I'm there for a reason. Like, don't make mistakes, but that's OK. It's not the end of the world. And mm-hmm. it'll like it'll be fine. Um, and like it just that it's worth it to trust yourself that little bit more um, was definitely one thing I came away from that with. How have you seen opportunities grow and change for women in sports and how do you think we can still improve? Yeah. I mean, I think it's grown a lot in just, it's been five years since I graduated college, so not a ton of time. Um, but it feels like it it's changed a lot in just that little window in visibility, particularly. Um, I'm not sure about actual job expansion just because Uh uh, this industry is not exactly bursting with jobs, uh, which is another story. Um, Uh But in terms of like women feeling supported at companies, being given bigger roles, both in writing and broadcasting, um, and the ability to like start up your own thing and create your own platform has obviously grown a lot in that time. And you see women across social media who are doing really cool stuff with podcasts, with blogs, whatever. Um, I think that's huge. I think also we still have quite a long way to go with women in leadership positions. There obviously Uh still aren't a a ton of those, which would be great to see. And just with women not only getting in the door, but really being given the tools to succeed and Mm -hmm. not having to just like claw their way up. um, I think that's still a tricky thing. Uh Um, And another one, one that I think people are, definitely making progress on and it has changed a lot in the last few years, but not as much as it should is coverage of women's sports and of women Mm -hmm. in sports. Um, 
you know, that's something that I, I didn't even realize until I was in this field and was thinking about it more critically. Like, I mean, how little I was surrounded by as a kid. Like I, I watched so much sports TV, read so much sports coverage. How much did I see of the WNBA of women's college sports? Like mm-hmm. so little and how different could it have been for me as someone who now watches a lot of WNBA, who watches the NWSL mm-hmm. is excited about those things. Um, but didn't find them until adulthood. Like how different could it have been if the tone of the coverage was different, if the coverage existed mm-hmm. um, and how different can we make it for girls who are growing up now and just to not other women's sports coverage and, you know, set it aside as separate, but to just treat it as sports coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, that's such a huge thing. And I think it is changing, but there is still a long way to go on that. And you said a couple of minutes ago that this industry is not exactly bursting with jobs, which is true. So what advice do you have for someone who's maybe just coming out of college very early in the career, who's getting a little frustrated or discouraged um, and how to kind of combat those feelings. Yeah. First, you're not alone, um, yeah. <laughs> which like it sucks, but it's it's not just you. It, like I can I know it can be so hard when it feels like all your friends in other industries are getting jobs and it there's just like seems like nothing here. Yeah. It's not you. Um, it's everyone. And I think the biggest thing is just being flexible. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like know your worth, know your value, set boundaries on what you're willing to do. But also just recognize there are so many different types of sports coverage to work your way into now. Like maybe if you think you're going to be writing, there's a lot of interesting stuff writing like podcast scripts or Mm -hmm. scripts for like different sort of digital video content. Like that's still the same skills. It's still being immersed in the same material, but it just looks different. And -hmm. there's all sorts of different examples of that. Um, And just like finding out what's important to you. And then trying to figure out, like, what jobs will that apply in? Because there's probably more than you think. So before we get to five fun facts, um, can you take us through a day in the life of Emma Bachelary? One of the things that's great about my job is that I have a lot of flexibility. So, like, Mm -hmm. you know, no two days are exactly the same. Um, Like, right now I have kind of two bigger features that I'm working on. So, like researching for those two things, which are both kind of baseball related, but like in very different spheres. Um, one is like about a player's family versus one is about like actual baseball. <laughs> right. um, so like different types of research, setting up interviews, you know, trying to get everything all squared away for those. Whereas like next week I'll be traveling for one of those stories. So I'll be out on the road, like actually talking to people and getting stuff together for that. And, you know, a week after that, I'll be transcribing and, you know, organizing all my interviews and making an outline and actually starting to write. Um, and yeah, I basically always have like two or three things going at once, um, ideally at different stages. So it's not all piled up in the same area at once. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things I'm really grateful for that I, I have the flexibility to kind of structure that work as I want. Um, I'm not a morning person, so I'm able to like just roll out of bed at like nine and not worry about, you know, getting up super early. I can mm-hmm. stay up and watch West Coast baseball every night um, <laughs> and just kind of enjoy like figuring out how to fit in the work I need to fit in whenever I, in the time I have. It's funny with West Coast baseball. So I'm from LA. I cover the 49ers. And right now I'm, I'm living between Dallas and California. 
Um, so I'm like a little all over the place, but I'm a huge Dodgers fan. And so those Padres series, I was like, oh my God, are they going to keep me up till 2 a.m. every <laughs> night while I'm in Dallas to watch every single game? It isn't, it's a little bit of an adjustment. You're on the East Coast and I used to live in DC, which is funny, but um, it is a little bit of an adjustment with the West Coast baseball, especially baseball somehow it feels like. Yeah, I'm like the opposite where I guess because I grew up with it, I've always been on the East Coast. Like I I need it as like my signifier of, it sounds so silly, but like literally when to go to bed. Like, okay, (laughs) by the time that like all of the West Coast games are in like the fifth inning or later, like, okay, take your contacts out. Like you should be powering down, turn the lights off, but still keep watching and then like go to bed when it's over. Whereas Uh like whenever I'm on the West Coast for, you know, more than a weekend, I'm like, I don't have like a where is like my external bedtime setting? <laughs> right. That's really good. That's really funny. Yeah. I've been uh, definitely adjusting and I'm lucky that I'll be living between two places. So, I'll, but it's going to be like, I'm going to feel like once I adjust to one, I'm going to redo the other, but that's fine. At least it's only two hours where I am. So that kind of, I think that helps a little bit, but we'll see. Uh, well, this has been amazing. Uh, we're about to go into my favorite part, uh, since we've been on hiatus, I will remind everybody that five fun facts started as something I do with the 49ers players on my iPhone and they get to share five things about themselves. But on this podcast, as everybody who's listening probably knows, we ask everyone the same five questions every week, which is fun for lack of a better term, um, because it's just there's so many different answers that it's kind of cool that we get to ask the same questions, we get all these different answers. So without further ado, we have five fun facts with Emma Bacheleri. What is your favorite moment in sports? I think my favorite one I've seen live was the 2019 World Series, which went seven games, really tense. And at the uh, Howie Kendrick's game-winning home run at the end of game seven was just incredible. Like that was just a fun one where it was the first world series I'd covered. And I felt so blessed that it went seven games at all. And then that seventh game was so incredible that it was just like a big, like, Oh my God, I'm so lucky for my job moment. That sounds, that's amazing. I remember watching that game with my friend who's a Nats fan. Um, he had come with me to game five of the division series. So Ooh. just a couple weeks earlier, we were together with me in tears and now I was very yeah. happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your life motto? Take 10 seconds and move on because I am like very prone to getting super hung up on super silly things like, oh, like that sounded awkward. Why did you do that? Like, and I can never just fully drop it, but take 10 seconds, think about it, beat yourself up a little and then move on and drop it. That is maybe some of the the best advice, if not the best advice I've ever heard. (laughs) Honestly, that is such good advice. Take 10 seconds, move on. I feel like I want to write that down and put it up literally all over my place. Uh, do you have a go-to workout? I actually, this is a little less, like, not an intense one, but I was always someone before the pandemic who was, like, I was big on, like, the elliptical. I loved Pilates classes. I loved spin classes. And then when all of that went away, I started doing really long walks, um, nice. which had never been my thing before. But, yeah, like, just going and walking, like, 15,000 steps, 20,000 steps, listening to, like, a really good long podcast became, like, my favorite thing in the world. And now, like, I can't go without it. And it, it sounds so obvious because like take a walk is like literally the most basic thing in the world but I'd never really been like I I walked for transportation because I you know Mm -hmm. I live in a city but I never like walked to enjoy walking and um Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like very low impact as a workout but as like a mental health recentering thing and like general well-being um yeah I'm now obsessed with long walks 
Well, and they're really walking is it's really good for you, and you do get yeah. all those steps in, and, and it is a great way to decompress. So that's fantastic. Do you have a go-to coffee order? I am the most boring person in the world. I like plain black coffee or plain cold brew. Um, sometimes I'll like have a little bit of fun with a latte, but for the most part, I just like it black. That's okay. That's, you know what? I like to say you do you, boo. You should have whatever <laughs> coffee you want to have and a book every woman should read. This is one I read last year um, that I got like obsessed with and recommended to all my friends. It's called Three Women by Elisa Tadeo. Um, and it's three women telling like the stories of their relationship histories and sexual histories and like everything that went into like their experience of like their understanding of their self as like in relationships. Um mm-hmm. And they're real stories, but they're written in such an interesting, compelling way that it feels kind of like three novels that have been like woven together. Um, and it just made me think so much about who I am in relationships and what that means. And um, yeah, Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. Oh, fantastic. I'm, I'm going to download that. Well, when we're done here, I'm post note, putting all those posts <laughs> up. I'm downloading this book. This has been awesome. Emma, thank you so much for joining me today. This was really fantastic. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And if you guys like what you heard, and I know you did, make sure to leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. I'll talk to everybody next week. Bye, y'all. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.